Welcome to the weekly. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. Hey, Matt. So Chris, Chris could be with us this week, and uh, Matt was uh, kind enough to fill in, and I got my old TV out, got it hooked up. Uh, he's he's uh, in full uh, full NTSC <laughs> video, <laughs> looking good. Uh, no remote. No remote. Yeah, there's either. no there's no remote, and actually I broke the the dial, so I have to use pliers to turn the channels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a blast from the past. Ooh, Gen X pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this week on the weekly, Rebel Moon versus Netflix, or I guess it's uh, uh, Evil Genius versus Netflix. Uh, Old World RPG, Fall of the Imperium, and Guild Ball Print and Play. So just a few, a few, yeah, odd little uh, gaming and tabletop stories. So we'll start with Evil Genius. So the uh, Evil Genius Games and Netflix, we talked about their dispute, uh, Evil Genius claiming that Netflix just kind of walked away. The person that was their liaison uh, stopped, uh, they left Netflix, and so they were left with somebody else managing what was going to be a tabletop game to support the release of Rebel Moon. And now we're in the afterglow of the <laughs> release of Rebel Moon, the first <laughs> first part. Afterglow, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think anybody is uh, like from a mushroom cloud, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't think anybody uh, wants to be uh, associated with Rebel Moon in any way. So maybe Evil Genius, uh, they dodged a bullet in this case. Uh, so they had a lawsuit. They sued uh, Netflix because they did a ton of work uh, and uh, basically Netflix says we own everything you did and we're not paying you. And their excuse early on was a breach of contract. They said there was some sort of reveal at a game convention that wasn't approved by Netflix, but it was. So there was some miscommunication, miscommunication confusion, and they used that um, reveal of some materials from this tabletop game as a breach of contract and claimed they weren't going to pay them and that they were taking everything that they had uh, already produced Netflix-owned. So in a joint statement, uh, Netflix and... Um, Evil Genius have uh, updated us regarding the canceled Rebel Moon role-playing game. So this resolution has been amicable because Netflix is the what, only profitable streaming service, so they have deep pockets and lots of investors. So uh, what came out of this is an out-of-court settlement. Yay! So what that means is nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows a dollar amount. Nobody knows the terms. Nobody knows what's happening. So uh, yeah, they canceled the license that Evil Genius had. And this was... Um, so officially, they said that the contract was canceled in May of 2023. And uh, Netflix asserted ownership over all the work. And I guess they filled in so many gaps in this like patchwork, pastiche world that uh, <laughs> Zack Snyder had created that they had to do a lot of work to actually make it a playable universe. Um, but Evil Genius has indicated in their statement that it may be incorporated into a future cinematic <laughs> cinematic work. So we'll, we'll get to that. So um, uh, the statement reads, the parties are pleased that they were able to amicably resolve this dispute. Netflix thanks Evil Genius for their hard work and professionalism. And then they put it right into the, uh, <laughs> into the bin. Uh, but um, there was a strange, a strange thing that... Um, came from Evil Genius said that we will not be releasing the Rebel Moon game, but stay tuned for more amazing cinematic adventures and an upcoming sci-fi project. Thank you again for your amazing support. And then they also instructed uh, retailers that uh, they will be receiving in the next uh, seven to 10 days, there'll be a follow-up email that will pr uh, show them how to get refunds for their uh, pre-ordering this game, which does not exist. So do you think they will? attempt to recover some of this uh, lost labor and repurpose, just do a find and replace <laughs> for everything uh, in this world well, and release it? Uh, they're, they're the ones that did those hero games, right? Mm -hmm. Like the everyday the hero Rambo, Rambo yes. game yes. and all that. Yeah. 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 So they're, they're already recycling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they will. Yeah. The I bet I I think that the the settlement mm -hmm. I don't know obviously but the settlement by Netflix standards was probably like a pittance yes like <laughs> yes. like 
it might feel good to this little game company, mm-hmm. but it's it's probably a walk in the park. They're probably like, you know, we're gonna if if you don't take this, we're gonna soak. You're gonna go out of business trying to sue us, right? You right. know, mm-hmm. so it's probably nothing. Plus, I bet you the designers are like, well, did we really want to try to gamify space vaginas anyway? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that was the. Probably one of the worst opening shots. I mean, when you've got a sci-fi thing that you're saying, oh, this was a Star Wars idea, you got to have a good opening shot. And that weird peeling, (laughs) peeling of space was not something anybody needed to see. Uh. (laughs) Do you think they handed a script to, uh, what's her name? Kathleen Kennedy? (laughs) And they're like, she looks at the first page and is like, we open on a space field. A vagina unfolds in space. What? (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't the uh, the female perspective she was looking for in her space <laughs> space opera. Yeah, so um, it's too bad. And, but it does also make you think, what if Rebel Moon would have been incredibly su- successful? You know, this would have been a really big lost opportunity to have a successful IP that they were doing the, the tabletop version of. Um, and the fact that it, like, it was it's so lukewarm like the reception was so lukewarm and no one even cares like where this story is going next i think uh they may have dodged a bullet it may have been yeah all all buzz is gone Mm -hmm. all buzz is gone now it's really strange so it's just going to be something that is floating around there on netflix and then there's going to be a you know director's cut extended version and there's going to be a sequel and People are like, oh, right, yeah. It's it's weird. It's weird how that uh, that just evaporated. Oh yeah, that was a thing, and now they want me to watch a extra two hours of this thing. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's so funny. like, well, like we were talking offline earlier. Like, I was literally uh, excited for the possibility that I might get like a ten minute dinner scene in the Dune oh. extended edition. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Right now, Zach, Zach Snyder is going to throw this freaking <laughs> three extra hours or whatever right. it is at us. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's weird. And it, it, that that's strange. I guess Peter Jackson was like kind of the first person known for doing that when they did the extended Lord of the Rings editions. And you bought the same movie twice, basically. But now, because of the uh, Justice League thing, now Zack Snyder is the, you know, Snyder Cut is the uh, shorthand yeah. for this extended edition. And uh, I can't believe they, they forced that. Like, if he, like, if he had some investment or was, like, creatively in control of this project, they basically said, release a really tightly edited thing that doesn't have very much detail in it and then do a bigger one later. I don't know how that would build hype. I mean, you basically, you've seen the story and now you're just going to see the story with a little bit longer, you know, exposition dumps, you know, it's like, okay. So, so every one of those uh, supporting characters gets their one line that's supposed to encapsulate their whole purpose for being (laughs) right. Yeah. Make sure we slip all those in. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. There's no, it wasn't interesting or compelling enough. None of those characters that I want to see more of them. So it's weird that they, and and the fact that they're, it's going to come later, it's going to come after part two is even more strange. You'd think they would do the extended version to build hype for part two. And then, yeah, they're, they're just like putting everything in the wrong order and not really understanding why you would even do that. So. My favorite Snyderverse movie is the one he didn't direct, which is I think is hilarious. <laughs> did, you see, did you see that Army of Thieves movie? Oh yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that movie, mm-hmm. and, and it's just because it wasn't really him, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. I didn't like that Army of the Dead at all. I thought the characters were so terrible, and they totally like you know didn't even use the zombie thing particularly mm-hmm. well. Uh, but yeah, the, but that 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 prequel, I guess it was a prequel, right? Cause those characters died. That, that prequel was fun. Yeah. It was very, yeah. uh, it was like a caper movie and mm-hmm. it was amusing that it had the zombie thing going on in the background, <laughs> right, right. but it was, but it was on another continent. So nobody cared. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I went, and I wonder what this is going to do, but um, 
people have had uh, kind of quietly, I think like Michael Bay and a lot of really big directors have had huge Netflix flops. Like Netflix has thrown hundreds of millions of dollars at them to do an exclusive movie and it just was nothing. So mm. yeah, I don't know. I wonder if this will have uh, much effect on his reputation or, you know, the kind of projects he can get done. No, he, he's, it's like, it's like Elon, right? He's going to always have this <laughs> certain cadre of stands, mm. you know, that are just like, whatever he does, they're behind kind of thing. Yes. Well, talk, talking about things that are mysterious and out of order and don't make any sense because they're not really supporting or helping each other. We got, uh, a, a little discussion of the the old world, uh, Warhammer: The Old World, which is a re-release of the Warhammer Fantasy Battles that Games Workshop brought back, and now we found out. Okay, well they moved the story, the the setting in the timeline back because you know basically the end times. So both settings of 40k and fantasy were interesting because they were you know the kind of you know two minutes to midnight kind of setting where the world is ending and you're living in this shit that is falling apart and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And that's the fun, the tension and the grim dark, you know, the, the hopelessness of the situation. And so they decided to take, when they release a fantasy setting to rewind it. <laughs> so this is kind of before the incursion of chaos. So chaos isn't going to be this thing that's already spread and come down from the from the northern reaches and messed things up. It's just going to be, you know, the 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 kingdoms and the um basically, you know, humans versus greenskins like, you know, uh Warcraft 3 or whatever. It's going to be going to be re rewound to that kind of state of this uh fantasy world. And Cubicle Seven, who does the fourth edition of the Warhammer uh, Warhammer role playing game, fantasy role playing game, has has uh, said that they this is kind of a, a very small uh, statement. They did a, a Facebook post with a few pictures and a logo, and said we are negotiating with Games Workshop to do a Warhammer the Old World RPG. <laughs> so. Okay. Can't you just do that in fourth edition? Can't you just have a yeah. setting book that would rewind it? No. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're, maybe they want to do something different, like mechanically, like, you know, uh, have a, a D6 dice pool or do something that's not, you know, D100 or something. I don't know what they're, <laughs> what they're thinking is. But yeah, so to support this reboot, there will be a second Warhammer, no, I'm sorry, a third <laughs> Warhammer fantasy, uh, tabletop RPG produced by Cubicle 7 because they not only do they have the fourth edition of Warhammer Fantasy, they also have an Age of Sigmar uh, <laughs> RPG. So Age of Sigmar Soulbound. So basically the end times came, the old world died, and then the Age of Sigmar was born. And it looks a lot more like World of Warcraft and is yeah, just silly in its lore. The lore, it's, I guess it's getting a little bit better, but it, when it was originally released, nothing made any sense. And the game wasn't even really playable. It was just everybody run to the middle, <laughs> run to the middle of the table. And yeah, it was more of a mosh pit than a, uh, because, you know, once you lose the rank and file, then you're just kind of 40Kng <laughs> into a big mass. And, uh, because you don't have ranged, you know, because the ranged is mm -hmm. not, not such a, a, a thing in fantasy. So yeah, the, uh, statement that they, uh, released, uh, Cubicle 7 says, exploring a new era with Warhammer the Old World is an honor and a privilege. As huge fans of the classic Warhammer setting, we're thrilled to be working with Games Workshop on the new chapter of such a beloved setting. That was Dominic McDowell uh, from Cubicle 7 in a press release. I and, can translate that for you if you yeah. want. Oh, yeah. What, what, what did he mean? <laughs> well, what he meant is we sure are glad we're still getting money from these Games Workshop products, and we don't want to do anything to get our license pulled. Yes, right, right. <laughs> yes, so whatever they're doing, we 100% support it. <laughs> so, yeah, I wonder, I wonder what they're going to do with this. And already, I, I think um, eventually people may be happy with this re-release, but as of yet, no one has seen it. No one has it in their hands. The books and everything, they, they, they botched the, um, the launch of it. It's delayed, I think, in North America. I don't think Japan's getting it until next month, but nobody has it. The only people that have it are the people involved in the hype machine. So the YouTubers and social media people, they all got their, their kits and their books early so they could show them off 
to get you excited to pre-order, but I don't think anybody's gotten their pre-order yet. They, they are having logistical problems in North America and uh, things sold out immediately. So if you go to the website and you're like, oh, wow, Warhammer Fantasy is back. Everything is sold out except the Pegasus Knights. So you can buy three Pegasus Knights for $90 if you would like. And that's basically the only way you could participate in this new <laughs> re-release of uh, the old world is buying old models, <laughs> these old old sculpts of models from 30 years ago that will cost you $30 a piece, depending on the region you're located in. Sounds good so far. Yeah. I, oh, man. Because how many 40K... RPGs do they have now? Two or three? Yeah, they're they're doing two. They've got Wrath and Glory, and then they just released that uh, Maledictum something. Yeah, the the one yeah, where yeah, you're yeah. playing kind of lower lower on the uh, the totem pole characters. So that's two different 40ks, mm -hmm. two different. Well, I guess sort of two different fantasies. Mm -hmm. Three if you count Age of Sigmar. Right. Yeah, it's just it's pointless. It's just it's all you're doing is creating brand confusion. I actually, mm -hmm. they, they, they put up then their Instagram post announcing this. I put in the comments, I was like, aren't you worried about brand mm -hmm. confusion? Mm -hmm. And of course they didn't reply or mm -hmm. anything, of course, but I'm just like, come on now. Like, like you said, they could have just did a old, old world expansion <laughs> book, book or box set, you yes. know, like, Right, and also, if you don't have chaos as an imminent threat, you really kind of gut a lot of the the what makes Warhammer different than mm -hmm. a lot of other fantasy games. No, that's true. Yeah, every fantasy game is going to give you an orc to stab. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> right. No, that that's really true. That uh, ignoring a lot of the. You know, kind of, so so there was a list. Um, once the timeline was kind of revealed for this relaunch of the old world, there was a list of the legacy armies. So they gave you a PDF for your the other factions uh, that aren't going to be included, aren't going to be part of the storyline and the progression. So uh, the new release, uh, the the re-release of Old World is eliminating as a faction the vampire counts, the lizard men, Skaven. And the Ogre Kingdoms, and then, of course, Dark Elves and Chaos Demons. So that's all gone. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, it does make sense that um, if they're going to re relaunch this and put some focus on it, they can't support that many factions initially in a launch. You know, that's, that's too much, unless it's only, only going to be the old miniatures. So it makes sense that it, well, they'd want to pare it down. But it looks like they're just specifically trying to not compete with Age of Sigmar. Like, they don't want you to buy miniatures you can use in both games. It's very strange. So they're um, limiting, limiting it, because uh, when Age of Sigmar, when that transition happened, those old miniatures still existed. And they said, well, you can play them. These are the the free peoples of Sigmar. Like, you know, they, they came up with ways you could play them in Age of Sigmar with some half-assed rules to keep those old sculpts, you know, selling. Uh, but now that they have this, uh, yeah, a whole separate system, they revised this, uh, revived this old system. Uh, it's weird. It's really weird what they're doing. And uh, of course, they can't give attention to like nine or ten factions in two fantasy settings. <laughs> it would be insane. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. But it's just now they've just got so much stuff. To, you know, someone has. There is a spreadsheet somewhere where someone has slotted in. Games Workshop releases for all of these games and all of these um, oh. settings for like the next like you know eight to ten years, and it's got to be insane. There's whole powerpoints I'm sure that they have for board members projecting their quarterly releases, and yeah, I mean, it's stupid. Yeah. They're just yeah, they're just plugging this stuff in, and uh, but I, they've grown. It's it's really insane. Like um, you know, Games Workshop was on some shaky ground, and especially when they killed old world fantasy people are like what's what what is going on and uh they're more popular than ever now though and like tournaments and stuff they have a shot on their website like they you have a video background playing behind you know playing in the background of the website of a uh, i don't know if it's a drone or what it is it's just a, a camera flying over the uh event space of a uh of a tournament it's just endless tables of endless people with their armies playing you know 40k so it's bigger than ever um but 
I don't know. I just I d- don't know how this how people are satisfied with what they're doing. But it is the brand. I mean, it's just there are better rule sets. There's you know better uh, settings. Even there's better games. You know, depending on your taste, there's there's things that eliminate some problematic things in settings or or let you enjoy um, a, a different style of game. But it's not Warhammer. You know that brand is like so. Um, you know, ensconced in that's that's war gaming. So if you're not playing Warhammer, what ex- what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? So it's uh, yeah. yeah. I'd like to see. I mean, I'm already really skeptical and down on this whole idea, but I'd like to see what system Cubicle if Cubicle Seven is going to stick with their fourth edition Warhammer role play system, or mm-hmm. they're going to concoct a totally different system. Which would be dumb too, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, like the their version of Warhammer is, I'd probably say my second favorite iteration of it. Like I think second mm-hmm. edition was my favorite, mm-hmm. um, and third edition that Fantasy Flight thing, Ugh. <laughs> the board no, game, no word, no word. <laughs> right? <laughs> the third, <laughs> yeah, that third edition is what if Games Workshop was still in the role play business. Mm-hmm themselves that's what they would have made mm, right here, here are funny dice you can buy and weird components and cards and crap mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's yeah. true so i'm curious to see what kind of system it ends up being mm. but i would not get anywhere near it if you actually enjoy fourth edition warhammer fantasy roleplay like why why are you you wouldn't, I don't think you'd buy it probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it must be, I don't know. Cause I don't know who that would be for because supposedly bringing the old world back is to bring the old fans who still have those armies, you know, back into the, the fold because they didn't, they didn't go, they didn't make the, the jump with uh, age of Sigmar into that weird wacky world. So they want to play rank and, you know, rank and flank, uh, fantasy war games. So they've got that back, but I don't know. I mean, there's, and I think, I don't know. I haven't seen the full rule set, but Kings of War is a pretty impressive rule set for rank and flank. And Warmaster is a, if you want it old school, Warmaster is very, a very satisfying way to play that, you know, Warhammer world on a tinier scale. So you have bigger, it's bigger forces. So I don't know. I don't know quite where this, uh, where they really see the necessity of this, uh, Cubicle Seven did say though that they will continue to support uh, 4E, their their Warhammer Fantasy 4E, uh, dedicating w- even while dedicating resources to the new RPG. Several upcoming supplements and releases will be coming out in the coming years. Was um, part of their release. So, and they already, I think I just saw a Greenskins release. There's like a Tribes and Tribulations or something. There's there's some source book for goblins and orcs and snotlings and I think even trolls and things in fourth edition uh, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. So they are mm. still kind of releasing stuff, but then they're just going to have to do that again <laughs> for the old world fantasy. I don't right. know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they're hoping <laughs> these poor rubes will buy both. Yeah, like, yeah. Do you have the Goblin book for fourth? Yeah. <laughs> do you have it for Old World? Oh. <laughs> it's really weird. And it's almost like they would be, if it is going to be a different system or whatever, like dual releases would make the most sense. But I guess if it's di- different in the timeline, you can't do that if the, if it's significantly different in the timeline. But I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And also, you know, the the Imperium, the human empire part of it, you know, they've had, they have this very kind of almost steampunky thing going too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that if they're going so far back, are they going to still have that stuff? Right. Or we, because that was one of the other things that differentiated Warhammer roleplay was it was sort of this very late middle ages, mm-hmm, early Renaissance mm-hmm. vibe, you know, right. Plus, plus it got a little extreme steampunk too, but, you know, that other fantasy games didn't, didn't have. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If, if they're going to go back, I, I don't get it. I don't see, you're just going to make a, a fantasy game. That's all you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that was the whole reason they killed it. And they, they did it of Sigmar. So they could just rename everything and, you know, have sea elves instead of, you know, high elves and, you know, steampunk air dwarves instead of dwarves you know they they um, wanted to rename everything and flavor it so that they they could say this is our unique you know 
yeah. a legally defensible <laughs> iteration. Uh, I don't know. It's it's weird. Um, and I think Cubicle 7 is just going to get burnt. You know, they're just going to invest mm -hmm. a lot of stuff and it's the they're going to pull the rug out from under them or just, you know, they're going to lose licenses to certain things, depending on how, you know, how the stuff is going. But I guess yeah, for Games Workshop, the, the gravy train never ends. They, they see this as a, uh, an endless money machine that great plastic mm. will uh, continue to make their investors and shareholders so happy for the foreseeable future. But uh, now let's look forward to the the fall of the Imperium. <laughs> That's Ooh. what everyone is looking forward to. We were to. just talking about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were hoping. Yeah, we were we were hoping to see that. But uh, yes, uh, so a new release uh, to, and kind of to correspond with the uh, movie release. So um, we're talking about Modifius. Their uh, Dune Adventures in the Imperium is getting a new campaign book, and this campaign book uh, takes place. It's basically the rise of Moadib. So it's Dune, fall of the Imperium. And uh, the events of Dune Part Two, the the theatrical release, the Denis Villeneuve movie, um, will kind of line up with this. So it's it's, and I like I kind of like what they're what they're doing with this and how they're uh, how they're letting you play in this world. So this is their next next campaign book. The uh, the movie is coming out in theaters March first. I'm not sure worldwide how accurate that date is. Probably North America. Uh, March 1st, March 15th, the fall of the uh, Imperium book is coming out. And of course, if you pre-order, you have, you'll have the PDF right away so you can read ahead. But what this will let you do is put your existing characters or existing house through the events, um, the, basically the fall of the Padishar uh, Empire, the uh, Emperor, uh, Emperor Shaddam IV. Uh, so basically uh, his fall and the rise of Moadib. Um, and they also, uh, Modifius was also promoting their starter set, which I don't think sold very well, but it's a, it's a neat idea. And I, I really wanted to, uh, it, it's kind of something you have to do physically because there's so many components, but they came up with this deluxe starter set called Agents of Dune, where you have a pre-built house or you can create an, your own original house and you, you know, either can, uh, basically uh depending on how, on how the players want to go supplant the atreides like replace one of the existing houses and play uh you know through uh events events that are happening in the world uh of that setting and supposedly in that box is everything you need to get the players and everyone like completely up to up to speed on the game. So it's kind of a step by step building your characters, building the house and then having it interact, you know, in the in the setting. And I thought that was interesting. So if you have done that, if you are playing the pre-built house from that set or have your own original one, now this book will allow you to be affected by what happened to the fall of House of Atreides and the rise of Moadib. So hmm. yeah, kind of interesting. So the uh, the main events uh, may be uh, may be set, but the fate of your house and your characters is not. So the fall of the Imperium and the rise of Moadib will tear the known universe apart. So you can choose to side with the Fremen against the Imperium or risk the Emperor destroying you as well. <laughs> so remain loyal for too long, and you may face the onslaught of the Fremen Jihad. So can your house navigate the plot of webs and treachery to determine its own fate in this time of prophecy and destiny? Hmm. So it's, it's yeah, I think it's uh, interesting and compelling. And it's, I want to see how they did it. <laughs> like I want, this sounds really yeah. difficult. So I want to see how yeah. they did this. So 144 pages, full color hardcover campaign book, similar to their, their previous releases. And this will cover the Imperium era all the way to the ascension of Moadib. And it'll also introduce the Quisarati uh, as a new faction and kind of give you the state of the known universe after Paul takes the throne. So this is a four, hmm. a four act, uh, four acts with each, uh, three full adventures and some story seeds and expansion ideas, how to go from here. So act one is the gathering storm. Uh, that's Atreides taking control of Arrakis. Moadib, uh, act two is Moadib. Arrakis is under control on the, of the Harkonnens once more after the betrayal. Act three, the fall of the Imperium. So spice production has stopped. And, uh, basically they, they, uh, bring it the Fremen and uh, Moadibia bring bring Arrakis to a halt, and then Act Four is war across the million war across a million worlds. So uh, Paul Atreides is the new emperor, and everything has changed. So yeah, I, I like the idea of um, 
Because you could even be remotely, you could be, you know, even very indirectly. And if you're, especially if you're a minor house, but these events, you know, the events of this, um, of Moadib's ascension will like ripple across everything. So how are they going to explain that? And how are they going to like, you know, make that work? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so very fun and interesting. This is really timely because I'm rereading Dune right now. Oh, cool. And I'm like, now I'm wondering like, uh, how far are they going to take this RPG? You know, are mm -hmm. we going to get to? Are we going to get to? Right. Uh, co cover your ears if you haven't. <laughs> don't know how Dune ends up, people. Yes. But uh, we're going to get the big worm paw, and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm really curious because it does get crazy. Yeah the 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 setting goes berserk, and mm -hmm. um and then. All of the um, weird supporting, like uh, Sun uh, Brian Herbert written stuff. I don't know if that's even gonna oh, if that's yeah, gonna figure no. into this mm -hmm. stuff. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, but I thought this uh, the that starter set uh, the Agents of Dune uh, box is really interesting because they they promote it as no preparation, just open the box and go through it in order, and you're playing mm. Dune. I'm like. Really? <laughs> you think that's you think that's gonna work? That is quite a challenge. That is a big yeah. That's a big brag. Pull that off. <laughs> right. So yeah. So but finally, because you know we had the pandemic and everything was screwing up schedules. Well, and even part two, Dune Part Two was delayed. It was supposed to be out in December, but because of the actor strike and they couldn't promote anything, they pushed it until March. So finally, Modiphius is kind of getting some synergy with this license, and they're releasing <laughs> something timely that actually matches up with the movies. Yeah, I saw an ad for it on Instagram, and they even made like a little commercial for it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, finally, uh, <laughs> things might uh, pay off for this uh, license, which could not have been cheap to uh, produce this Dune game. They've, they've actually um, produced a lot of materials already. I think there's at least four or five books either supporting uh, just source books or supporting directly the campaign that you start with uh, the... the uh, core set or with this uh this deluxe starter set there's a, so there's, I yeah. They, yeah i didn't realize they'd done that much mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot to i mean so most of it still is arrakis focused you know that it's like the you know a, a core book explaining the fremen and dynamics of spice and trade and and how things worked on arrakis but uh, they release a book of the houses to show you um, the rules for playing, uh, you know, all of the established houses from the, the book setting, plus like where you could fit in if you wanted to do something original. And then um, uh, you know, some of the uh, political intrigue. So uh, there, there's a campaign that's more the, um, you know, less Arrakis based and more just uh, kind of, you know, cloak and dagger and negotiations between houses. So there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And now this is the, uh, yeah, the setting for the, the fall of the Padishar Emperor. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this does. I really, I really want to get you guys, especially because on alchemy, it's going to look amazing. So I really want to see. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and if they if they could actually adapt this um, starter set to alchemy, that would be really cool because there's so many, yeah, so many resources for it, and it's just like a, a lot of really good. Uh, I don't know. It 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 might be hard, but. Uh, but yeah, we got to be playing some Dune eventually. It's on the list. It's in the queue, as they say. All right. And the last thing, last thing I wanted to mention is is a new a new kind of approach. And we'll see if this is effective or this is just like an act of desperation. What exactly this means? So Guild Ball, which is basically an alternative. I don't know if it was ever a popular alternative, but an alternative to Blood Bowl, to um, Games Workshop's Blood Bowl. So Guild Ball is returning, but Guild Ball was canceled. <laughs> so Guild Ball was uh, abandoned. So Steamforged Games is bringing out, uh, the, uh, bringing its first miniatures game. So this is the, the first miniatures game that Steamforged did. They're, they're more known for board games and, and other adventures. But uh, uh, the... This game was uh, forced into retirement because of just lack of support and kind of, you know, pandemic related issues. So originally released in 2015, 
It's a, just a two-player fantasy football miniatures game, more based on European football than rugby or uh, American football like Blood Bowl is. So a little bit more uh, elegant in the movement. There's not so much as bashing people's heads in. And um, what they are doing now to kind of support the game, uh, bring it out of retirement, and uh, see what kind of interest there still is, is they're releasing an officially sanctioned line of print-on-demand files uh, and updated rules that will support this new version all for free. So the co-founders, Matt Hart and Rich Loxham, said that uh, they would love to eventually actively support development again of Guild Ball if people discover it. So they're going to make it available for free, make it you know playable. It's going to be in the best you know condition it's been in its uh, in its life, and uh, see if people ever you know kind of come back to it as an alternative to uh, to Blood Bowl. So free STLs for the Guild Ball kickoff set, which was their starter set uh, that's been kind of out of print for a while. Uh, the Masons and the Brewers. So it's Guild Ball. So your teams are guilds in kind of in the medieval you know fantasy uh, set uh, sense. And uh, so they're going to have uh, terrain tokens and measuring sticks. And essentially all of the components that were sold in that original starter box, you're going to have digital or printable versions of. So initially they canceled the game back in 2020, uh, you know, beginning of the pandemic. Um, so the files aren't available yet, but they're going to start showing up on the Steamforge website. So as soon as they show up, I'll put a link uh, in this article. So yeah, it's based on the European uh, European soccer and they originally kickstarted it back in 2014. And then the, the retail release was 2015. They developed five seasons of it. So there's five expansions that added uh, a, one or two guilds every time. Uh, and they ended their development and buried the plans for a range of minor guilds uh, in 2020 because of the the lack. So they initially they said they blamed the COVID pandemic at the time, but they also pointed fingers to the competitive scene. So the competitive scene necessary to kind of support a game like this and get people buying and kind of, you know, keeping up with the new seasons just, just wasn't materializing, wasn't happening. Um, they, uh, they said it was a, a creative space for wild and goofy elements. And they uh, said that that was necessary to kind of, that's the lifeblood of this. And it just, it wasn't happening. So they said, as the competitive scene, this is a quote, uh, as it began to dominate the uh, design space for uh, wilder and more fun elements began to shrink. The, uh, the style of gameplay changed to low risk, ultra conservative play where the ball was often deliberately sidelined. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess their rule system, it, you know, it became the style of play that won that was most competitive was the least interesting <laughs> <laughs> so it made a a kind of you know pale imitation of Blood Bowl even more pale <laughs> and and weaker. So they said obviously Guild Bowl Guild Ball is currently parked in terms of development for us, and the announcement did not go down terribly well when they sidelined it. But that's on me. I wrote the announcement. The message I was trying to convey is it is wasn't the message that people heard. Uh, and the other one of the other co-founders, uh, Roxley, said, we didn't ever intend to blame the community for this. And uh, that's what was taken from it. So we're sorry for that. And we let people down. So I guess, yeah, they were kind of responsible for people uh, turning away from the game because they criticized the competitive scene. <laughs> you guys aren't playing it right. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, the and the original models uh, were uh, criticized for the thinness of their ankles and the contact points on bases. And basically the overall uh, points balances, uh, the, the the point the balance of points between the uh, the different factions. So they never quite, you know, ironed out all of the uh the the problems uh with the game and just, you know, decided to retire it. And one last quote by Hart is, uh, we wanted to recognize the hard work that uh, that they've done and the custodianship that they demonstrated over the last two or three years. And so for now, Guild Bowl will live again on their website. And uh, yeah, so you've got a little update to the rules. It's interesting. Um, and I guess that's always a, uh, a possibility that the community and the people that become interested in your game you know, kind of taken in a direction you don't really <laughs> think that wasn't intended. And what are you going to do about it? And, but if if they're supporting it, if they're buying miniatures, if they're, you know, uh, then I guess you have a decision to make. You can either kill the game and criticize the community <laughs> or you can, uh, you know, 
creatively kind of follow that, be inspired, you know, be inspired by the community and follow what, what they're, uh, what they're doing. Or you can just release a statement that says you all suck and uh, you should do better <laughs> as, as a customer, you should just do better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lame. Yeah. We based this game on low event European football <laughs> and you made it boring. How dare you? Yes. yes there's yeah. So I like that. The ball was deliberately sidelined. Yes. <laughs> so it was just guild. You're just playing guild. There really wasn't much ball involved. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. Yeah. There was um, initially there was some support, some support even in Japan. The, the game never had a localization here. It was only in English. But it did have there uh, was a hobby shop, uh, especially that was running tournaments and really trying to get people involved in it. But uh, yeah, it just um, it, it this the kind of setting and the design of it was just very light because it wasn't um, the kind of heroic scale, kind of crazy um, uh, f f miniature fantasy miniatures. It was basically, you know young youngish men and women of a guild wearing the appropriate costume of a blacksmith or a you know whatever a fisherman and some mm. you know some some of their things like the fishermen had nets and things so there was some some thematic um yeah. uh things that differentiated the guilds but yeah overall and especially you know even even painting them up you didn't get this really like amazing uh, look at the differentiated. They just looked like, you know, medieval peasants running around in their work clothes. <laughs> yeah. The thing with blood bowl was it, it was really taken from that tongue in cheek part of Warhammer. Mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can't prove this, but I think it was inspired by the original Mindheim book that had the oh, yeah. snot ball in it mm -hmm. where people, where teams would literally have, they'd have like a, a snotling tied up in a net and they mm -hmm. would kick it like a soccer ball. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, so it, I, they took the tongue in cheek part of Warhammer and they, they turned it up to 11 and that was a lot of its appeal. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, this looks, sounds really vanilla compared mm. to that, but I'm noticing that on noble night right now, they mm -hmm. have box sets for it from like 25 to 60 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, you could get into it if, and this goes back to the whole free STL thing, mm -hmm. I still contend that's not a valid strategy. That's a good add-on strategy. Mm -hmm. It's not a strategy to kickstart a game mm. because I still, like, I know one person, and I think it's you, <laughs> that has a 3D printer. Mm -hmm. Like, People want them to be everywhere, but they are not everywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I think STLs are a cool thing, and it's a great thing when companies embrace them. But you can't try to relaunch a game on the back of them. You know? Yeah, yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, I think it's a, it may be a good way for posterity also to kind of archive games. You know, so you you know just imagine if all of the um, you know, original uh, Warhammer fantasy miniatures, some of the crazy metal and stuff, the wizard with the machine gun, like this crazy Citadel stuff, if there were STLs of all of that, so they lived on forever, you know, so you, anyone could produce them and see them in, you know, make them physical again. I think that that's a great way to, uh, to make sure that games don't just, you know, disappear into the, you know, however long the plastic or the metal of their miniatures last. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good way for them to, you know, kind of become immortalized in that way. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. As far as the, the hurdle is just too big, there's they still haven't worked out. And especially now where China's economy and manufacturing, because all of the parts and all of everything is basically dependent on China. So you mm -hmm. have to get a relationship with a Chinese manufacturer to get replacement parts and be dealing with things Um uh, if you want to get heavily into 3D printing, the cost of all of that has gone up, um, and it's still you know you're still dealing with like a, a lot of weird problems that I don't think it that that becomes the 3D printing becomes the hobby, not whatever you're making. Like it's not a means to an end; it's the hobby within itself. Getting good at that and getting that to re your machines to reliably produce good results is going to take all of your hobby time away. <laughs> You're, mm -hmm. you're basically not going to be playing and painting and playing any miniatures games when you're spending all your time trying to get the best results possible for these STL files, which are yeah. in all sorts of ranges of, 
they've either been tested and pre-supported or not, and you have to just you know rely on uh, the quality assurance of the company that put them out, which oftentimes is is zero because they they have they have as little experience with it as you do. So yeah, it's a, a little tricky, but uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting move that really stood out as uh, okay. Yeah, that would that would be a way to keep your game. You know, because you know games do die, and uh, often a company will put the PDF of the core rules on its website, and it just becomes inactive. But the you know in the secondary market, the the model kits and things are still floating around there, so you could play a dead game, <clears throat> and it you know kind of becomes it becomes available in a weird way. So this is another. This is a more updated version of that. It's like, let's just leave it out there and see if any if it ever catches on again, if anybody ever wants a, a game where you don't have to use the ball in a in in a ball based sport. What uh what what is the name of that company again? Uh Steamforged Games. Yeah, Steam Steamforged. Yeah, so what Steam. else? They do other things, right? <laughs> yeah, this was their first miniatures game. They do a lot of board games and um so they basically I think they, they I, I hope I'm not uh, confusing. I think they just did the uh, yeah they did the Monster Hunter World game, which was really good. They did, um, but they've also made uh, had a few missteps. They did the Dark Souls board game. Oh, they're the Dark Souls people, right? <laughs> and the and the Dark Souls tabletop RPG, which didn't Ooh. work. Yeah, which was broken from the start. Yeah, they uh, they they have a lot of missteps with their games. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I I think Monster Hunter is probably one of the uh the most successful. They're really leaning heavily into licensed IP stuff, but uh Monster Hunter World was like surprisingly a, a faithful representation of the kind of stuff you do in those games. But hey, you uh, and Chris played that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we had some, we had a lot of fun uh with that. But yeah, they um cuz they even they were supporting 5E with what they were calling epic en- encounters, which were miniature based like single kind of, you know, boss battles basically that you could kind of slot into your campaigns for D&D. And they had nice miniatures and a kind of uh, you know, higher end board game style miniatures and interesting, you know, interesting settings and a little map, you know, a little um grid to play on. So that was their first step in the kind of tabletop and then after Dark Souls came out they said, "Hey, let's do a Dark Souls RPG based on 5E." And at character creation, they kind of broke the game. <laughs> so Oops. I don't know. Yeah. The rules don't matter. You're supposed to die in Dark Souls anyway. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's see. Yeah, they've done quite a few. They're, um, uh, there's the thing, yeah, they're, it's pretty long. They're, uh, list- yeah, that's right. They did a Horizon Zero Dawn, Resident Evil. Oh, that's right. Their original thing that I'm not sure how much it, it took off because it's all on, it's on clearance in a lot of places is, uh, Bardsung. Bardsung was kind of a fantasy, uh, board game. I think that was their original IP. Uh, but otherwise, everything else is all licensed stuff. So they've, uh, yeah, they did a Sea of Thieves book or about sorry board game so they've done a lot of licensed stuff but you know they they they're in that um you know they got a little bit nicer than standard board game miniatures you know they're 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 paintable and and decent especially the um the larger scale uh monsters in monster hunter are beautiful they're really really well done um but i don't know it's it's kind of rough uh relying on the uh yeah, the licensed IP stuff because it just kind of oh, and that's right, God Tier, as in T E A R, was another one of their original mm-hmm. attempts to do kind of a miniatures uh, mm-hmm. combat combat game. I think similar to um, uh, Guild Ball, it just it came out. The timing for it coming out wasn't great. There were other games that did what it could, what it did better. It just had you know uh, its own original style, but not you know. Uh, not that compelling for people. That's right. God. Yeah, I remember. Tier. I remember that coming out and then nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So similar. So they've tried, and they, so maybe that's why they've they've more recently just kind of um, uh, leaned into the licensed IP stuff because then you've got at least some guaranteed sales. You know, um, even if you don't go to crowdfunding, uh, you'll yeah. have some sales. Oh, and they did a Pac Man game, Pac Man card game. Come on, Pac Man card game. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. We'll uh, uh Pac-Man fifth edition game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
yes. Fifth edition. Yeah, and I keep seeing uh, seeing Animal Adventures. I think that was a recent crowdfunding thing. I'm not sure. I've never heard anything about it, though. But I had to get one Watsy dig in tonight. <laughs> yes. <One. laughs> yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. I mean, uh, yeah, and they... Um, they did release a sequel to Monster Hunter. They did the uh, the Iceborne setting. So lots of plastic monsters coming out for Monster Hunter. But other than that, yeah. That's, that's half of Kickstarter is just plastic <laughs> monsters. <laughs> right. Oh, that's right. And didn't they do – we talked a little bit about they tried to they, – they're trying to kind of reset um, – the Dark Souls game, the Dark Souls board game, and do kind of a starter set for that where they're limiting the miniatures. They're, they're using the miniatures they've already produced and they're putting it in a board game with kind of like more streamlines, you know, things that people complained about, about the rules. They tried to clean up rules. Yeah, yeah. Clean it up and release it as just a board game of this because, yeah, uh, the, uh, I think the, the difficulty, uh, spike and everything was not, uh, uh, it was not not done to people's satisfaction <laughs> for Dark Souls, so they they try they're trying to kind of re relaunch it. So yeah, we'll see. Um, they sure yeah they sure do produce a lot of stuff, man. Mm-hmm. But not with the legs, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, Devil May Cry. They did a oh, wow, a Devil May Cry board game. <laughs> Didn't even know there was a Devil May Cry game. That's hilarious. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they've yeah they've licensed a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know. They they need to yeah, and and we'll see once uh, whatever if they're still going to have a relationship with D and D. We'll see whatever this new new thing is, and if there's space for them to support that. But. Uh, yeah, yeah, in- interesting. So yeah, their orig- their first game, their first miniatures game, uh, is now archived for all uh, all future <laughs> people to uh, <laughs> to try out. So we'll see. Uh, and it'll be uh, it's it's funny though because once you kind of, I mean, I'm sure on all their documents they still have their you know all their legal their copyright and everything. But if this game these rules are out there. These STLs are out there, but it becomes something else. Like, you know, people look at this game and fix it, you know, basically make their 2.0 version and that becomes popular. That'll be interesting to see how the company would respond to something like that. If they would embrace it or if they would say cease and desist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good luck steam forged. And, uh, it's it's an interesting uh, interesting ex- experiment. And I think, um, I think at the very least, you know, the, people the kind of diehard fans the people that you know liked that game and always hoped that it did better it's nice that they still have access to it you know that and they could if they want to try to get somebody into it you know they've got all the miniatures but <laughs> they want to get somebody new into it there is an option yeah it's cool i mean i i'm sure you know there'll be a, a lot of people that download the files I doubt many of them will actually do anything with them. <laughs> right, right. Know, but they'll be got some eyes on their website. Good job. Right, right. Yeah, and just to kind of remind people, yes, we used to have original ideas. <laughs> it wasn't all Devil May Cry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can play the Masons and the Brewers for free forever. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> interesting. <Ooh. laughs> Yeah, just like smashed in the head with a uh, a barrel or some kind of tankard by a, by a Brewers Guild member. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that is going to do it for this week. A lot of odd little stories. Yeah, I didn't include, there was stuff that wasn't quite tabletop related, but um, funny little things like there was a judgment in China where they supported the copyright of AI art. So China has already decided that things generated by AI generative software is copyrightable. <laughs> so that's going to be weird because I thought China was one of the companies that respected no copyright, no IP. Yeah. yeah. But th- in this case, yeah, they're, they're yeah. protecting the pirates and what they're doing. <laughs> right. Right. So if they, but if there's uh, I guess somebody, you know, that was a member of the communist party played around with AI uh, images and they, they, they needed to have their back when the lawsuits, uh, when it came to court. Yeah. I don't know. Very odd. But uh, yeah, we'll see. So more more fun next week. So that will do it for this week. Where can people find you, Matt? Oh, I am on the threads in Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's at Hargold, H-A-A-R-G-A-L-D. 
talking a little bit about the Black Sword hack game oh, nice. I've been running, which is sort of a a forced beta for the adventure I want to put up on Drive Through, um, which I'm going to be hitting you up for art soon. Oh, good, on. very good. Um, but yeah, I've been that and tomorrow night hopefully don't get killed in some blade runner yeah that's right <laughs> right right back here on this channel yes yes so we'll be doing the um official start we had the opening scene character creation and the opening scene kind of a session zero uh last week so yeah this week will be the beginning of case file two so the clock will be begin to tick for our blade how, runners and how about you oh so i am uh i didn't i uh, Scheduling didn't work out this week, so I didn't do the cartoon stream, but usually I, uh, on Wednesday nights, North American time, do a, uh, a stream of a live stream of my uh, abuse cartoons, which is uh, domestic abuse on uh, Go Comics. You can read the archive, gocomics.com slash domestic abuse. It's a single panel gag cartoon. I've been doing it for a very, very long time, so there's lots of it to read. And uh, I draw that cartoon every week and... Uh, show you some things from Japanese convenience stores and uh, that's abuse cartoons on all, uh, all social media. And if you want to support what we're doing here with the weekly, consider becoming a weakling. So you can visit patreon.com slash upturn table and, uh, and support us and kind of connect with, uh, with us and let us know what you want to see on the weekly, what topics you want to see discussed and basically get access to um, the full audio of this live stream is on the RSS feed and there's exclusive content and things on there that you don't get anywhere else. And uh, also uh, upturntable.com is the website. And uh, that's where you can find links to everything, uh, downloads and audiobooks and all of our actual play series. Everything is uh, available up there. And then upturntable on both YouTube and Twitch for all of our live streams. So subscribe to one of those uh, channels, and then you'll get notifications when we go live. We stream to basically all those places, even Twitter, even formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> we're still streaming to. So when things go live, there's lots of places to find us, um, whatever whatever is easier. So upturntable.com uh, or upturntable on all social media. And uh, yeah, that will do it for this week. So we'll be back with the weekly next week. And thank you so much, Matt, for helping me out with the... Uh, uh, with this week. You bet. You bet. Anytime. All right. So we'll be back in just a moment. And uh, thanks for joining us. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>